We're in Titus chapter 1, finishing that chapter today. So I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus 1 or look that up on your phone or tablet. When I was a little boy, I enjoyed watching Bugs Bunny cartoons on Saturday morning. That was one of my favorites. And I remember there was one about Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and the Abominable Snowman. Don't know if any of you remember that one. But that's probably where I learned the word abominable. So I was a little bit amused when I read that word in our passage today. It comes near the end, so we will come back to it in a little while. But at, by way of review, so far in chapter 1, Paul has introduced himself back in verse 1, his topic, that was also in verse 1, and his recipient. We know that's Titus from verse 4. And we studied all that two weeks ago. Then Paul jumped straight into what he wanted Titus to do. That's in verse 5. Set the church in order and appoint elders. And as soon as Paul mentioned elders, he began to describe them. And that's what we talked about last Sunday. We finished then with verse 9, where it says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Those elders are going to hold fast, cling to the word as they've been taught, and be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who disagree with, those who contradict, those who attack right doctrine. And as soon as Paul mentioned those who contradict sound doctrine, he went into another paragraph, and that's what we're going to study today. Starting in verse 10, he began to describe those who contradict sound doctrine. I think it would be fair to say that he's setting up a contrast between the qualifications for elders that we talked about last week, those qualified elders, and those who are unqualified. That verse appears in verse 16. That word, unqualified, is in verse 16. The unqualified false teachers in the churches on Crete. So that's what we're going to see in these verses today. Let's stand, please. I hope you've had a chance to find it. I'm going to read for us verses 10 through 16, and you follow along, please. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they be, may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we are grateful to be able to gather in your presence today. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is among us, ministering your word to us. Thank you for each person, each individual, each household represented here this morning, those joining us online. We, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We pray that we would do that in spirit and in truth today. 
Father, as we look at false teachers, we ask that you would give us understanding. Help us to know what sound doctrine is. Help us to be on guard against false teaching and false teachers. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our lives today. That as we heard earlier, we would be not just hearers, but doers of your word. And that as you show us ways in which we need encouragement today, may we rejoice in that. As you show us where we need conviction today, Lord, may we even rejoice in that too. And may we respond and be doers of your word as we hear it. Give us ears to hear today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint me to preach your word accurately, clearly, and boldly. Well, thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that deal with false teachers and false teaching. This is only one of them. We won't try to cover all of them this morning. But Jesus gave his disciples instructions about false teachers. He told them both to watch out for false teachers and to judge those false teachers by their fruits. Here's the verse, Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them, how? By their fruits. According to Jesus, a false teacher is a wolf disguised as a sheep. That's how we're described, isn't it? We're often described as sheep, part of God's flock. Our chief shepherd is Jesus. But they come in looking like sheep, trying to disguise themselves. But that false teacher may look like a sheep, but sooner or later, later his words and actions will reveal that he is a false teacher. Reveal that he is, to use Jesus' word, a wolf. Here's some questions I would like us to consider together this morning. First, do you recognize false teachers and false teaching? Are you internally pure? Do you deny God with your works? As I look through the passage, there are probably several words I could choose to be a key word, but the one that stood out to me was liar. Liars. If you mark in your Bible, you can find the word deceivers in verse 10, the word dishonest gain in verse 11, the word liars in verse 12, and men who turn from, turn away from the truth in verse 14. There are five statements, five main points, five main ideas that I'd like to share with you from these verses today. The first one is that false teachers sneak into the church. They're not going to come in and say, hey, I'm a false teacher and I have some false teaching for you today. They sneak in. They, they come in try to come in under the radar. We're going to see that aspect that they were already there in the church of Crete in verse 10. Second, false teachers care only about themselves. They're in it for themselves. They're out for themselves. They are interested only in themselves. But number three, false teachers must repent. That's the goal. That's what we're going to see in this passage when we get to verses 13 and 14. And then Paul finishes describing them 
Fourth point is false teachers have defiled consciences. That's verse 15. And then the last verse for today, verse 16, false teachers deny God by their works. So we'll work through those statements as we work through these verses. We'll go back to verse 10 right now. And these first two points are together in the first three verses. Number one, false teachers sneak into the church. And number two, false teachers care only about themselves. Verse 10 goes this way. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. The first word in our English verse here is the word for, F-O-R. It means because. Paul was answering the question, why? He was sharing the reason behind what he had commanded Titus to do back in verse 5. What was that? Set in order the things that are lacking in the church, he meant. And appoint elders in every city. That's the mission. That's the purpose. That's why he left Titus on the island of Crete. To minister to the churches in those two ways. To set things in order. To appoint elders. Why? For there are many insubordinate. Do you see that there are many? It doesn't give a definite number. But there were a bunch. There were already many false teachers. And people who had been influenced by them. In the churches across Crete. Paul started out with three characteristics of these people. Insubordinate, idle talkers, and deceivers. The first one in that little section, that little list, is insubordinate. That means rebellious. It means unruly, disobedient. To whom? Well, ultimately to God. But beyond that, to Paul, the apostle. And to Titus, who was his representative by this point. And to the elders that they were appointing in these churches. Now, this is a, a military term. I know that some of the folks in our congregation have served in the military, and we appreciate that. And if an inferior officer refuses to obey a superior in his chain of command, we call that what? Insubordination. That's this word. Insubordination. He can be charged with insubordination. These false teachers promoted themselves... But they did not acknowledge any chain of command. They did not acknowledge any accountability to anybody else. Last week, we talked about Paul's command to appoint multiple elders in every local congregation. Accountability is another strength. It is another benefit of having multiple elders. In our church body, we have multiple elders, and they hold me accountable for the truth of the gospel, and I do the same for them. The second characteristic in this group of three is idle talkers empty talkers senseless smooth talkers some other synonyms i found were loudmouths and windbags one of chuck swindoll's mentors taught him you can always spot those who don't teach the truth by the way they say absolutely nothing beautifully they sound really good saying it but they're not saying anything they tell others what to do, but they don't do it themselves, so they're not practicing what they preach. The picture in my mind here is cotton candy. Any of you kids like cotton candy? You've probably had cotton candy before anyway. So what we have is granulated sugar, heat it up, add some food coloring or whatever to it, and then you spin it. So what, do you, what is most, what, what's the biggest part of cotton candy? It's air. <laughs> you have sugar, but it's a little thin Spun sugar. So my kids did an experiment once, and they 
took this bag of cotton candy and dipped it in water. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen that? Do you know what happens? It just dissolves right into it. You can put an entire bag of cotton candy into a little glass. That's what's going on here. There's no substance. They're bloviating. They are expounding nothing. They're idle talkers. And then the third one here is deceivers. And literally it means self-deceived. They are deceived and they are sharing those lies with others. So I think this is a good time for us to remember where lies in general come from and where false teaching comes from. I'm going to offer you two verses here. One is John 8, 44. These are the words of Jesus. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Any lie that you've ever heard, ever read, ever told, ultimately is coming from Satan. He's the father of it. That's the source of lies. What about false doctrine in particular? 1 Timothy 4, parallel passage in some ways to what we're studying today. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3 now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will be, depart from the faith, giving heed to, look at this, deceiving spirits, lying spirits, and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What's the source material for a false teacher? Demons. They are teaching, they are spreading the lies that are doctrines of demons. That's what this passage tells us. So after giving those three more general characteristics, Paul got more specific about who these people were. It says, especially, or we could say, that is, those of the circumcision. The Amplified Bible expands that phrase this way. Those Jews who insist that Gentile believers must be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved. That's what they were teaching. Judaizers is the group that he's talking about when he says those of the circumcision. These teachers want everyone else to obey all the Mosaic law or their extra biblical rules, what they've added, or both. Sometimes it sounds like this. Do you want to be saved? Then you need to be circumcised. And you need to keep the feast laws and the ceremonial laws. And keep all the feasts, the holidays. You have to do all of it. You need to read Leviticus and commit it to memory in order to be saved. That's the only way to come to God. Now, is that true? Thank you. Just making sure that you're tracking with me. No, it's not true. But that's what they would say. Maybe we should put it in more modern terminology. If you want to be saved, then you need to be comf come forward and be baptized. And there are people who teach. It's called baptismal regeneration. That you'll, you'll never be saved. God will never accept you into heaven unless you've been baptized. That's false teaching. We have to reject that. We have to stand firm on the truth. How about this? 
Do you want to be spiritual? You must keep the Old Testament, Old Testament dietary laws, or you need to keep the Sabbath, or you need to celebrate all those feasts. Same thing, just applying it to you can be more spiritual this way. Maybe you're saved by grace, but to be spiritual, to be sanctified, you have to do this, this, and this. No. Those who tell you that kind of information either don't know or refuse to accept that the law was given as a teacher to bring us to Christ. I can't keep the law, and you can't keep the law either. And trying to keep the law is not going to bring you to Christ, not going to save you, and it's not going to make you any more acceptable to God. But these were teaching that in the church, churches, on Crete. Okay, Paul, we're getting a better idea of who these people are, but what should we do about them? And that's verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Some of you have a different translation with you, so you might have whose mouths must be silenced. Literally, it's bridled or even better yet, muzzled. Get out the tape and put it over that guy's mouth. This isn't quite like that, but last week I was back there at, at the table talking to Phil Sr. and Johnny was doing sound. And Phil Sr., my mic was on, so I was, we were talking about whatever back there, and Phil Sr. said something that some of you would love to be able to say. Turned to Johnny and said, mute him. But that's what we would like. If I were to switch this off right now, or he would have sw- if Landon switched me off back there, then you wouldn't be able to hear me as well, and the people online wouldn't be able to hear me at all. That's what we need to do with false teachers. Mute them. That's the idea. Muzzle them, bridle them, whose mouths must be stopped. Then he goes back to describing them. Who subvert, well, you probably didn't use that word in a sentence this week. I didn't either. Subvert, overthrow, destroy, that's a more common word, whole households. How would that happen? Well, where were these churches in Crete meeting? They were meeting in houses. That's the early church met in houses. So if false teachers were coming into the house churches, then they weren't just disrupting the church. They were disrupting the households. What were they doing? They were teaching things which they ought not. Well, that seems pretty obvious at this point. We've just been reading the kind of things they're teaching. They shouldn't do that. I agree. If they should be muzzled, then they shouldn't teach that. Well, then he brings up why they're doing it. Why are they teaching these things? It says, for the sake of dishonest gain. False teachers are motivated by money. It's as plain and simple as that. False teachers get rich peddling their lies and destroying households. Unless we think that this was unique to the island of Crete in the first century, I trust that you all realize you can turn on the television, you can go on the internet, and you can find any number of false teachers right now. And if you begin to listen to them, it's going to sound good and it's going to sound biblical. You can listen to someone who's part of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness and it will sound right up to a certain point. But they don't mean the same thing that we do. They don't mean what the Bible means. They redefine their terms. 
and we've got to be on our guard. We are blessed to live in a time and place where we have such easy access to the Word of God and so, such easy access to the teaching of it. But don't just go off and say, ask your question, and whatever comes up, assume that it's true. You need to test everything I say, and you need to test everything you hear or watch online against the Word of God itself. That is the standard. Paul continued by sharing a quotation that the people of Crete would recognize. Verse 12 says, One of them, a prophet of their own, he's talking about the people who live on Crete, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now that prophet of their own, he's talking about somebody by the name of Epimenides of Crete. And most of the sources I found this week said that he lived in the 6th century B.C. So six to 700 years before Paul's writing this to Titus. Now there's some uncertainty about when exactly he lived because he was somewhat of a legend as well. So there are some sources that will say he lived 300 years. I don't believe that's true. I do believe probably that a guy by this name lived and probably said this statement. But what did he say? He said, Cretans are always first liars. That's the first of three descriptions in this quotation. And the Greeks at this time adopted a verb into their language, and I won't try to say it in Greek, but it means to cretinize. And you know what that means? That means to lie. It was so common for the people of Crete to tell lies that the Greek culture around them just said, to cretinize, we're going to use that in place of saying to lie. Because everybody knows what we mean. This quotation is hyperbole. That means it's exaggeration on purpose to make a point. Because I don't think Paul or Epimenides probably meant that every person on the island of Crete was a liar. Not a compulsive liar. Because after all, Epimenides was from Crete. So was he lying when he said that everyone on Crete always lied? We won't go down that rabbit trail too far because Paul answers that question. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the next verse, he says that this statement is true. So we're going to go with yes, that is a true statement. But we have a similar saying today. If you haven't noticed, we're already in another presidential election year. And you can probably finish this joke for me. How can you tell when a politician is lying? His lips are moving. See, you've heard that. That's a statement common in our time period that means the same thing. Does that mean that all politicians are liars? No. Unfortunately, many of them are, and that's why we have that statement. So at the time, people of Crete were known around the world, around the Mediterranean world, as liars. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was doing something wise here. Instead of just coming out and saying, all of them are liars, he quotes one of their own people who said 600 years earlier, all of them are liars. That's what's happening here. False teachers were lying to believers and wrecking their homes and even becoming wealthy by doing so. Let's pause a minute and apply this to ourselves. Here's your pop quiz for today. What's the theme of Titus? Some of you have been there here two weeks. What is the theme of Titus? Truth does what? Truth, it's there now. Truth leads to godliness. Good reading, that's very good. Truth leads to godliness. If the truth of the gospel has the power to change people's lives, and it does, then people 
who used to be known for lying will put off lying and be renewed in their minds and put on the truth. That truth leads to godliness. In Ephesians 4, great chapter of the Word of God, happens to be the same chapter that is spelled out in the book that we're going to read as a church this year. Ephesians 4, verse 15, talks about truth. Paul gives instructions there, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And then 10 verses later, he talks about the truth again. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. If we are believers, we need to speak the truth. We need to speak always the truth. We need to speak only the truth. And we need to speak it always in love. That's the qualifier. Are you speaking the truth? Are you speaking it in love? Going back to the quote from Epimenides, as I mentioned a moment ago, Cretans are described three ways, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So we're on the second one. Evil beasts. These are badly behaved wild animals. They gave in to any desire. If it feels good, do it. Repeatedly. That describes these false teachers. And then the third one is lazy gluttons. One Greek expert suggested that these false teachers were grossly obese. They were getting rich. And I guess they were just lying around when they weren't out doing their false teaching, eating bonbons. I don't know. A few years ago, Rochelle met a woman. She described to me as thin and petite. So a little bitty thing she had been talking to. And she, I asked her to guess when I was asking her about this illustration. She said she would guess that the lady was 5'4 and might have weighed 105 pounds. This lady had recently participated in a free health screening. The offer stated that a doctor would personally review her screening, so she was shocked when the report came back that she was morbidly obese. And as she read further, she figured out what had happened. The nurse who was entering her information had put that she was four inches tall instead of five foot, four inches tall. So 105 pounds, four inches. I suppose that would be morbidly obese. The doctor must not have read it very closely either. Or maybe everyone, maybe he was used to seeing that in his reports, I don't know. I don't know whether these false teachers were morbidly obese, but this says that they were gluttonous. They were just giving in to their desires. They were feeding their own desires. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to do whatever feels good. I'm going to do whatever I can to manipulate other people for my benefit. That's what was going on. They pursued their lusts. What should Titus do next? To rebuke them sharply and pursue their repentance. That's our third point today. False teachers must repent. We're in verse 13. This testimony is true. He's talking about the quote he just offered us from Epimenides. This testimony, that that's how they are, that's true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. As we saw last week in verse 9, this rebuke them sharply, that involves exhorting and convicting. How? By sound doctrine. Give them the truth. 
We saw already in verse 11 today, this involves silencing them, muzzling them, making them shut up, muting them. How do we do that? Warren Worsby said it this way, the only weapon against Satan lies is God's truth. If we desire to win against false teachers, if we desire for the truth to prevail, we've got to tell people God's truth. God is truth. We talked about that last week. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only weapon against Satan's lies is God's truth. And Paul counseled Timothy in a very similar vein. 2 Timothy 4.2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Convince, here's that word again, rebuke. Exhort, how? With all long-suffering and teaching. So preach the word. Rebuke with teaching. But there's a very definite purpose for this sharp rebuke. You see it there? That they may be sound in the faith. Yes, Titus, call them out. Present the truth. Show that they are lying. But it's not just to humiliate somebody. It's not just to win the argument. The purpose is to restore them to restore them to sound doctrine. That's what he's saying here. Restoration to the truth is the goal. That sounds a lot like Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Realize that you need to be gentle. Realize that you need to be humble. Consider yourself, lest you be tempted by this process. But what is the goal? It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, here's the verb, here's the command, what? Restore. Mend what is broken. Straighten out. That sounds a lot like what we were talking about elders do when we were saying last week. So the goal is to restore, even with false teachers, that they would repent and be restored to the truth. Verse 14. Not giving heed or paying attention to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the faith. Jewish fables. Paul doesn't expand on that right here. But these are myths that probably added to Scripture. These false teachers may have taught a form of Gnosticism. Then he says, not giving heed to the commandments of men who turn from the truth. Commandments of men. These false teachers likely taught a form of legalism or asceticism. They are adding to what the Bible says, what the scriptures say. So this is just a really, really simplified definition of those belief systems. Gnosticism is something that we talked about in our last men's Bible study when we studied 1 John. We talked a good bit, a little bit in 2 John as well about Gnosticism. That word Gnosos, I believe, is the Greek word, and it's knowledge. It's where we get the word knowledge. So it's, I have secret knowledge that you need to know. If you want to be spiritual, if you really want to be in with God, you need to know this secret interpretation that I know. That's what they were saying. So it's to know more secret truth. That's what you have to do if you're going to succeed in Gnosticism. What about legalism? That's do more spiritual stuff. And we think of legalists as those who have checklists, do this, don't do that. And that's, that's true. 
But the why is important when we're discussing legalism. The why is in order to gain favor with God. We are saved, how? By grace, through faith. Grace is free. Grace is not my own effort. We read Galatians, and not only are we saved by grace, we are sanctified. We are being made more like Jesus by grace. It's not something that we can do. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not how much can we add. The Old Testament law had 600-something laws spelled out, and they had made the code so complicated, like like our tax code, folks. That complicated is what they were doing to God's law. What was the purpose of God's law? We said it a little while ago. To point to Christ. To realize, I can't keep these rules. I can't do it. I will never do it. So I needed God to do it for me in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that I couldn't, and then to die in my place because my sin deserved spiritual death and separation from God. There's one more there, asceticism. Don't do anything you might enjoy. That's kind of what that one says. Go live in a monastery. Don't smile, don't eat, don't, don't drink anything, just fast foul poverty, all of that. Those are the commandments of men. That's what they were adding to Scripture. Paul warned Timothy about something similar in 1 Timothy 1. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables. Sounds similar, doesn't it? And endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Don't waste time on these extra-biblical rules. They're not going to accomplish anything. That's what he wrote to Timothy, and he's saying the same thing to Titus. Do not give heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. Now that brings us to our fourth point. False teachers have defiled consciences. This is verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and consciences are defiled. The type of purity that Paul's describing here is internal, not external. It will result in external, but it's an internal purity. I want to clarify something. When he says that to the pure, all things are pure, if I say, okay, I'm a child of God, I stand redeemed i am pure in christ because i have i'm robed in his righteousness those are all biblical statements right you with me so far and therefore there's nothing impure to me i can watch pornography i can abuse various substances in my body i can do anything i want to do because it's pure that would be false teaching that would be taking this out of context and applying it the wrong way that's not what he's saying and most of you know that you're thinking well that's not what he means i'm not totally sure what he means but i know it's not that The context here, that's what we care about, right? If we're not sure about Scripture, we need to look at the immediate context, and then we also need to compare Scripture with Scripture. So the immediate context here, the emphasis seems to be on dietary laws, what people could or could not eat. But Jesus and Paul and others in the New Testament dealt with that topic. I'm going to share with you the words of Jesus. This is from Mark 7 in our series in Mark, many months past. We covered this. Jesus said, beginning halfway through verse 18, Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, 
and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out. And that's how we're going to judge these false teachers by their fruit, because whatever's in there is going to come out. It's going to come out their mouths. It's going to come out their lifestyles. So Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So if you are internally pure, you'll be externally pure. But if you're internally defiled, you'll be externally defiled. Now, how did this play out? Because how does that fit in with what he's talking about? Well, these who are internally defiled are saying, well, to be spiritual, you need to keep my list of rules. You need to do this, this, and this. You need to be circumcised. You need to be baptized. You need to do, 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 do. They aren't starting from a right conscience, a pure conscience. It says, even their mind and conscience are defiled. Understand, unbelievers have defiled consciences. They have no ability to discern right from wrong. And that's what he's saying. They are false teachers because they don't have the truth. They're not starting from the truth. They're not starting from a pure heart. And as a result, the teaching that they are offering to everybody else is wrong. We don't have time to go into this much, but the conscience can be trained. Conscience is, I, I know in going back to cartoons, I was talking about that earlier, the, the, the little angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, that, that idea that we know right from wrong. But our consciences are trained, and they need to be trained by the word of God. Because left to my own devices, I'm not going to get it right. I'm not going to know right from wrong, apart from the grace of God working in my life, teaching me from his word. Unbelievers do not have the ability to discern right from wrong, and therefore the externals of their religion are going to be wrong. It's going to be false teaching. And that brings us to our last verse and our last main point for today. Number five, false teachers deny God by their works. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. What we believe determines what we say and what we do. I was just saying that a minute ago. Here's how Jesus explained that same principle. Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Imagine that. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What you said this week when you were experienced various emotions, sadness, irritation, anger, depression, what, whatever you were experiencing emotionally probably made its way into your speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's our word that I started with, abominable. 
It means detestable. It means disgusting. It means vile, polluted by idolatry. Disobedient. I think we know what that means. Not obeying. Not obeying what? Not obeying God. God's word. And then it says they are disqualified for every good work. That means they're disapproved. They're worthless for any good deed. They're unfit for any good work. Useless, rejected, counterfeit. Whatever good work they're, they think they're trying to do, they have no, no ability to do it. Good works are impossible for unbelievers. Isaiah 64, 6 may be a, a verse that you know. The second part of it goes this way. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The best we can do on our own, apart from God, is trash. It's rubbish. So let's review what we've seen about these false teachers. False teachers sneak into the church. You say, are they here today? Not that I know of. But the longer a church exists, ours is almost 10 years old, people are going to come in. And yes, in the 10 years that we've been around, we've had people come in and, and try to tell us, no, you should be keeping the Sabbath, or no, you should be obeying dietary, or no, you need to keep the feasts. You need to study this out. Well, we should study it out, folks. We should know what the Old Testament teaches us and know why God had his people do what he had them do. But that doesn't mean that we are supposed to do it today. It's around us. It's around us in Brunswick County. It's around us in the United States. And it's certainly around us in the world. Number two, false teachers care only about themselves. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for dishonest gain. And they're going to indulge their lusts. Verse three, not verse three, but point number three, Titus is supposed to rebuke them sharply for the purpose of seeing them repent. Number four, false teachers have defiled consciences. That's what we were just talking about. And they deny God by their works. That's the fifth one. A moment ago, that verse I read in Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. They're trash. What does that tell me? That tells me that I cannot do anything good for God. I can't come to God on my own. We can never do enough in a million years to make ourselves acceptable to God. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to clean myself up, and then I'm going to come to God. We can't do it. But he's already done it. And he invites us to come to him in faith, believe, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. I believe you're the rescuer. You can save me from my sin. You took the penalty. If you believe on him as Savior, you will have eternal life. Now, many of you in this room have done that. You've called on him to be your Savior. So I have a few questions to ask you as we wrap this up. Are you watching out for false teachers? Are you on your guard? Do you know who and what to look for? Ask yourself, are there any ways in which I've been deceived? Are there any lies that I'm believing? 
Are you internally pure? To the pure, all things are pure. Are you pure? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? And then do your good works. And I'm talking about the kind that come after salvation. We can't do any works to save ourselves, but we are saved unto good works. Do those confirm that you belong to him? To say that a different way, do your actions, do your words, do even your thoughts confirm or deny God? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you a moment to pray and ask God to show you what he wants you to do with this. We've, we've emphasized that principle in this service. That we can't just be hearers. We can't just gather on Sundays and have class and learn facts. We need to live the word of God through the week. So what's he leading you to do? I prayed that he would encourage us where we need it. So I trust he's done that. That he's encouraged something in your heart today. Or maybe there's a specific conviction that you're experiencing from the Holy Spirit right now and you know what you need to do. I pray that by his grace you will do it, you'll obey. I'm gonna be quiet for 15, 20 seconds and give you a chance to talk to God about whatever he's talking to you about and then I'll close this in prayer. Our Father, I pray that you continue to do your work in our hearts. May we do your word, live your word this week. Would you purify us inside? Would you minister your grace to our hearts and give us an understanding both of the salvation that is in Christ and in how you want us to be more like him. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.